Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today, I'm delighted to talk again to Dr. Abdullah Swedi. You are most welcome, sir. Thank you very much. Dr. Abdullah Swedi is a, a Swedish convert to Islam who holds a PhD in Islamic theology and is a specialist in topics related to atheism. He has been teaching at the uh, Al-Masjid uh, and Nabawi and the Islamic University in Medina and has been active in teaching Islam in Sweden for over 15 years. Years And he's uh, sitting, as I said before we went online, he's sitting in front of his library. But he told me he has another library, he has two libraries. He has an Arabic library, he's sitting in there, which I've seen, it is vast. And another library, I've only got one library and it's only in English. So <laughs> he's a university academic, I'm just a, a lay person, so I can, that, that's my excuse, anyway. But uh, Dr. Abdullah has kindly agreed to give us a talk uh, about violence in the name of secular ideologies. This is a really important subject. So the title of this talk, as I say, is Violence in the Name of Secular Ideologies. But isn't it the case that violence is usually perpetrated in the name of religion? Uh, yeah, thank you very much, Paul. Nice to be here one more time. Uh, and like you said, uh, uh, usually when we hear violence, uh, it's usually mentioned in the name of uh, religion mm. and uh, especially Islam uh, when it comes to the media. And I think that this is also one of the most common arguments that atheists use against uh, religious people uh, and especially against Muslims. We can see the whole new atheist movement that started uh, after 9-11. Uh, the first book that was written was by Sam Harris. And his, he started to think about the book that he wrote uh, straight after 9-11. And uh, the book uh, End of Faith came out uh, 2004. And the subtitle of the book is Religion, Terror, and Future of uh, Reason. So he focused on the topic of violence in the name of uh, religion. Mm -hmm. And the second book of the, the four horsemen, as they used to be called, uh, <laughs> of, in the atheist movement, yeah. God Delusion, we saw Richard Dawkins, he also focused a lot on the topic of violence in the name of religion. And he was speaking about violence in the Old Testament and the New Testament and uh, different kind of violent acts that, uh, that uh, religious people made. Uh, the third book was uh, of the, one of the four horsemen too. Uh, God is not great. Why religion poisons everything by Christopher Hitchens. Mm. And like we can see from the title, he focused a lot of uh, his efforts in the book about uh, issues uh, related to violence in the name of religion and so on. And the new atheist movement uh, started to die out, what I see uh, these days. Uh, really? Christopher Hitchens died. Yeah, Christopher yeah, yeah. Hitchens died. Richard Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, they're in the 80s. They're old now. So they're not 
as uh, uh, sorry, sorry to just Richard Dawkins I saw a tweet the other day someone showed this to me at Speaker's Corner yesterday a tweet where Richard Dawkins was uh, saw no moral objection to eating human flesh on a tweet wow. I kid you not almost justifying cannibalism because he could see no moral reason to object to it so he's reached that level <laughs> of discourse yeah. anyway I just thought I'd just throw that little tidbit in yeah, it's sick but we can see that even if if the movement uh, as it used to be like 10 years ago is not that strong uh, their books sold millions of copies and uh, their de debate uh, debates uh, millions of views on uh, YouTube and the arguments that they use, especially when they focus on the issue of violence in the name of religion, uh, is still one of the most common arguments that atheists uh, use today. And I think that the argument is, uh, ha has some effect on religious believers uh, and especially on Muslims. And they always have to try to defend themselves when it comes to this issue. And you see some of them, they, they, they might become weak in their faith when they, they hear about this argument. And some of them, they're trying to come with a counter argument, say, no, uh, Islam is only peace. It's uh, prohibited with all kinds of violence in, in the name of religion and so on. And, uh, and that's not really true. Uh, so uh, I think this issue is very, very important to tackle and to speak about and also to see the whole issue in, in a more comprehensive view. So we can see uh, how violence was perpetrated in the name of different religions and also in the name of secular ideologies. Mm. So uh, I think that those who usually raise this objection against is Islam especially are either Christians or uh, seculars. Mm. And... Uh, I think that you had a talk here on your channel about violence in the Bible uh, before. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's, it's quite important to speak about violence in the name of uh, secular ideologies, because it's not a topic that is usually addressed, uh, what, what I see. And I think it's important that we speak about this subject too. And I think it's also important that we, when we speak about violence in the name of secular ideologies, that we mention secular ideologies and not in the name of atheism. Because uh, I think it's pretty seldom that anyone commits an act, a good act or a bad act, uh, in the name of atheism. Because atheism is the absence of belief. Uh, usually, atheism is, uh, uh, is a part of a political ideology or, or uh, some philosophy or something like that. And it's the basis of some actions it's very seldom that people say that they do anything. I give charity in the name of atheism or <laughs> I kill someone in the name of atheism. I think that's pretty seldom. But uh, atheism itself is the foundation of many secular ideologies, either right. uh, outspoken atheism or practical atheism. Like people, they, they, they're living their lives as God does not uh, exist and so on. So I think that... Uh, to be more specific, when we speak about the subject, we speak about uh, violence in the name of, uh, of secular ideologies and atheism, practical atheism or theoret theoretical atheism is the foundation or the basis down there, but usually they do not do the, the, the crimes or the violence in the name of atheism. And that's one of the reasons or the objections that uh, Richard Dawkins raised in, the, in his book, uh, God Delusion. He said that 
uh, Stalin did not kill anyone in the name of atheism and so on. And uh, he practiced state atheism in, in his state in, in Soviet. Okay, he, he, and atheism is a foundation of communism, but the atrocities was usually perpetrated in the name of communism and not in the name of atheism itself. Uh, if we look at uh, the numbers uh, uh, of how many people that were killed in the name of different religions and ideologies and so on, there's a book, a study called Body Count, a Quantitative Review of Political Violence Across World Civilization. Oh, you got the book over there. And you got it here. And you can get this. Uh, uh, this is the actual book. It's called War and Peace in Islam, the Uses and Abuses of Jihad. And it's uh, edited by some very distinguished academics. It's available. You can get it online in a PDF for free, actually. Uh, but the hard copy is actually uh, very inexpensive. And there is a chapter there, as you say, uh, dedicated to this academic survey of, of mass killings in history, which you're now going to tell us about. Yeah, and... Uh uh, the, the researcher, he, he studied conflicts from 2,000 years back yeah. to our age. Uh, I think it's like hundreds of conflicts. And uh, the, religious, the religious beliefs behind the, the, the violence that was perpetrated and so on. And he mentioned a minimum toll and a maximum toll and a median think, toll for, yeah. for uh, every... Because it's very hard to know, like, different wars that were conducted, like... Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. A thousand years ago, how many people died? So maybe yeah. someone would say one million, someone would say two million. So I noticed that, yeah, you saw that in the Iraq war when uh, America obviously invaded and attacked Iraq. I mean, the number of civilian deaths does vary depending on how you define it. I've noticed they're more conservative uh, and more, and more um, uh, greater numbers uh, estimated. So there's not an exact number. I guess it depends this how you calculate it. And this was a war that was conducted. Well, this age, a couple of years ago, let alone in the Middle Ages. How do you? So presumably, the further back in history you go, the more unreliable the statistics are. But he discusses the methodology of yeah. it in in the survey, by the way, so people can read about it in the in the book. Yeah, and he mentioned the different wars. And uh, when we go to the median toll, uh, he said that Christians, number of people that were killed by Christians, one hundred and seventy-seven millions, and the second uh, was anti-theists, so seculars, 125 million people dead. Yes. Uh, then cynic religions in China, 107 yeah. million. Uh, and then Buddhists, uh, 87 million. And primal indigenous, uh, different religions like uh, old religions, 45 million. And then the Islamic faith, 31 million. And Indic faith, 2 million. So we see that anti-theists, uh, seculars, they actually, people, uh, the number of people died by, by, uh, by anti-theists and seculars were four times more, almost four times more than the number of people that uh, were killed by Muslims. And we can see that Christianity and Buddhism and cynic religions have existed for, for since the beginning of the counting in this book, 2,000 years. 
and antitheism only existed for about 200 years. And the atrocities in the name of uh, antitheism were only like in the, in the in the 20th century, maybe a bit in the 19th century. So uh, it's pretty strange that we can see that those who use the argument most against, against Muslims, either Christians or anti-theists, uh, they are actually the ones that killed more people uh, in history, most mm. people in history, and much, much more than, uh, than uh, Muslims. So uh, I think it's uh, pretty interesting. At the same time, it's, uh, it's very horrible to see how many people are killed in, uh, in all of these uh, wars, and especially in the names of Christianity and in the name of anti-theism. If, if, yeah. if I could just quote um, about the, the Muslim uh, findings here, it says, uh, however, in terms, in terms of the death toll, the Muslim world's share of death toll is ranked at the bottom so you have Christians, you have anti-theists, you have uh, the, uh, the scenic civilizations, is uh, Japan, you have India, and so on and so on. Uh, the Islamic civil comes, comes at the bottom, um, which, is, which is interesting. The Islamic death toll of 31 million amounts to 5% of the total world death toll. This is in war. And, and is thus around a sixth of the Christian world's share, just a sixth, and around a quarter of the anti-theist contribution. This is the secularist uh, category. In the genocide category, however, the death toll is somewhat lower at 2%. So the statistics for Islam are really low. Uh, the, Muslim, uh, the Christian one, shockingly, he says, in comparative terms, we have found the open secret of world history to be that Christian societies in history have been the most bellicose on all counts. Bellicose means inclining to start wars, warlike. Uh, they are responsible for the highest numbers of death in world history, a, med a median of 178 million. That's over 30% of global fatalities for the period zero up to the, uh, the when this survey was done in 2000. Uh, and eight. Uh, finally, in terms of genocide, too, the Christian world has perpetuated more than half of all genocides in recorded history since the year zero, anyway, at 51%. Um, so, what is called the Christian world, therefore, emerges as the most violent and genocidal in world history. That's oh. creepy. Uh, but for our purposes, uh, looking at the anti-theist or secular category, that comes second after this. And the Islamic like category said, comes exactly. right at the bottom. So yeah. that's the, I do recommend you Google that. You can read it for free online. And you can read about the detailed analysis, the methodology, how the, the authors uh, collated the data. Uh, there's, there's detailed results, the key findings and analysis. It's all there. So I've just given you a few snippets of the summary findings of the book. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you had any more questions after? Yeah. So, how, so can it, are, are we saying, so can it ever be justified to use violence? Now, now we've seen the horrific wars in history and who's mostly responsible for it can it ever be justified to use violence do you think uh, like when we hear about this immense amount of people that were killed in in wars and genocides and so on uh, i think that 
we as human beings, if we have a bit of compassion and so on, can feel that we should be 100% pacifist. Like we can never ever use violence at any stake and so on. And I think that abstaining from violence uh, is a must for a, a more uh, uh, ordinary citizen living in a state. Uh, and we can see also, uh, except for self-defense, if someone's trying to rob you or something like that, but if you're a citizen in a state, uh, you should abstain from violence as much as you can. And we can see that the Prophet Muhammad, uh, peace be upon him, uh, in his biography, when he was living in Mecca, uh, it was forbidden for him to use any kind of any for, uh, form of violence when he was living there, because he was a citizen living inside of a state. But then when the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, moved to Medina, he became the head of a state and mm. was living in a very dangerous environment. And we can see that it's a big difference between a citizen and uh, the head of the state or the state itself, because the state has to use violence in some cases. And I think it's impossible for any state through history to abstain from violence. You have to have a police force, you have to have a military, you have to defend your borders, you have to use a violence in some uh, occasions to protect your own citizens and so on. So I think it's impossible for anyone to abstain from violence totally. And we, when we saw the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, when, he, when he lived in, in Medina, the Arabic Peninsula was a very, very dangerous place. You could hardly move from one town to another or village to another without people uh, looting you, attacking you, or so on. It was a violent environment that he was living in. So abstaining from violence totally when it comes to uh, the head of a state, I think that's impossible. And uh, if we see, like uh, in Christianity, uh, the, the, the famous statement that is attributed to, to Jesus, that he said that you have heard that it's been said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go on one mile, go with him two miles, give to him Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I think it's, uh, it's a quite beautiful saying if you are a citizen or if you are trying to make some kind of uh, a peaceful movement or something like that. But it would be impossible to live in a state where you would practice this, uh, uh, practice this saying. So like... Uh, how can you in, in the UK live without a police, uh, police force, without a military, if a, a foreign state will attack your country and you will say, slap me on the other cheek, and if you take this city, take the other city, and so on. It's totally impossible to implement uh, these sayings and these statements that are attributed to, to Jesus uh, in practical life. This, this, this is true. In, in practice, the, church, the Christian church later on developed... Um, the just war theory, uh, particularly associated with uh, St. Augustine in the 5th century, a uh, very famous early 
a Catholic theologian and bishop, and later on by Thomas Aquinas. And it's still the case now that most of the churches, the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, so on, accept just war. So you can go to war, you can kill in certain circumstances. So in practice, the churches ignore what the Gospels say. With some rare, there's some rare exceptions. There are some pacifists. Uh, because Jesus' teaching is a pacifist as presented in the gospel. I, I personally don't think the historical Jesus was like that, but that's not the point. Uh, but the, the churches have ignore, uh, ignored that. And it's interesting, in the end of the New Testament, when Jesus returns, he's no more a pacifist. He's no more Mr. Nice Guy. Uh, he slaughters his enemies on an industrial scale. Uh, there's masses of bloodshed uh, that he he you know he kills vast numbers of mankind so if there's only this kind of slither of history where uh, he is apparently pacifist but later on he he certainly isn't at the end of time in the book of revelation anyway and also if we if a christian would try to go back to uh, try to go back to the other to to old the old testament when it comes i will speak about that later yeah. But the verses in the Old Testament when it comes to the rulings of war are totally different. Yeah. So, like you said, the, the, we have two Latin terms here they used to talk about. Just ad bellum or just in bellum. So, uh, the right to start a war and how to conduct a war. Uh, yeah. If we see in Islam, there are very, very strict rules when it comes to starting a war and also how a war is conducted. That is uh, prohibited to kill women and to kill children. And there are many statements and sayings that you cannot attack people that are uh, abstaining from fighting and, and the civilians. And, and, and monks, yeah, monks and uh, religious people, people who are yeah, non-combatants, absolutely. These are all yeah. prohibited. So, so, it's really, um, yeah. so it's really just fighting those who, who fight, fighting mm. armies, fighting armies, and not killing civilians. And I think that this is a pragmatic way to look at reality because now you have rules. How war is something that is uh, invitable. It, it has, uh, and, and you have to use violence in some cases as a state. And you can uh, either you can say no, you should just t turn down the cheek. And when it comes, when you really rule a state, you <laughs> use different rules, and you're like you're you're not really practicing your religion. Yeah. Or you can do as Islam comes with, in, you have, okay, this is a reality that we'll live with, and these are the rules, and obey these rules, and this is how war should be conducted. And this is what we see here in, in Islam. That's what we can see that Muslim scholars are those who usually condemn uh, acts of terror and uh, the, the killings of innocent that these terrorist groups are doing in the name of Islam, they are do those who condemn them at most uh, because from an Islamic point of view and not just uh, to be uh, trying to be nice in front of the camera or something like that, uh, they're, is, they're saying like this is totally un-Islamic because we can see in the Quran and we can see in the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, that this is not allowed. This goes against our, uh, our rules. So... And I think that it isn't the case. And I just point this just for the record in the Bible. Uh, you mentioned the Old Testament uh, in, in some places, genocide, uh, the, the targeted killing of men, women and children and babies is explicitly commanded. For example, in, in the first book of Samuel, chapter 15, if you look at the first verses there, uh, God, 
Yeah. Go now, attack Amalek and put the ban everything he has. Do not spare him. Kill men and women, children and infants, oxen and sheep, camels and donkeys. So it's uh, men, women, and even infants even and better. camels, and sheep and donkeys. So it's uh, it's not just genocide on on human beings. It's even genocide on on animals. And it's important so, yeah. to realize this is not just an historical uh, uh, record from thousands of years ago. The Amalekites became. Uh, um, a symbol of evil for uh, uh, Christian groups and, and certain Jewish groups as well throughout history, even in the 20th century. And if you identify the enemy as the Amalekites, the Amalek, uh, that meant that you could exterminate them. And the Christian groups in what is now North America identified the, uh, the indigenous peoples there often as the Amalekites. They were called that. And they were thus able to be exterminated in the name of Jesus, in the name of Christian religion. And this this trope has recurred over the centuries. Um, so this is not just a curiosity of an ancient Old Testament text. This is a, a text that has been used uh, and abused and uh, uh, through repeatedly through history. And there is plenty of academic work on this terrible, terrible subject. Uh, in Islam, it's different. There are explicit rulings, as you say, in Sahih yeah. Hadith, in authentic Hadith, and obviously in the Quran, you don't attack, kill, children women monks people are not involved in it you don't even cut down trees you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or kill animals wantonly or you know only if there's necessity because you need to eat or something you can do that so it's quite different and that may account somewhat to the extraordinary statistics uh, in here about um christian genocide and violence over the centuries being by by far the most violent um religion in history, uh, I, I, there seems to be a matter of historical record. I think. Yeah, uh, it's even forbidden to kill ants in Islam. So <laughs> yeah, <I didn't> <laughs> yeah. So you can't even kill ants. So it's not like here yeah, they're speaking about sheep and oxen and, and camels and yeah. so on. So you can kill animals just for the sake of killing them. Yes. Uh, yeah. You can also kill animals for the sake of eating them. So I, I think that the problem here for Christians is that. Uh, the Bible becomes like a, a smorgasbord, like, like you say, mm. and uh, they can cherry pick from it. So you have pacific, uh, pacifist Christians, and they say, no, we should go for Matthew. Yeah. Uh, turn the other cheek and so on. And you have other Christians say, no, we can go back to the verses of the Old Testament and so on, uh, which teaches genocide. So uh, I, I think there's a great difference there. But when it comes to the, the topic they want to speak about, uh, about secular ideologies and, and uh, atheists, uh, when it comes to uh, this issue, when you can start a war and how you can conduct the war, hmm. uh, what are the moral standards for an atheist in this issue? Hmm. I think we might find the answer in, uh, it's a famous passage in the, the book of Fyodor Dostoevsky, the brothers Karamazov, oh, yes. where, he, where he says, but what will become of man then? I asked him without God and immortal life. All things are permitted then. Yeah. They can do what they like. Exactly. So without the belief in God, there can be no objective moral standards. And it's up to every human being to choose his own uh, moral standards. And human beings have different inclinations and, uh, in this issue. There's an American atheist philosopher, Alex Rosenberg, he said in the beginning of his book, The Atheist Guide to Morality, said, what is the difference between right and wrong, good and bad? He answered, 
there, uh, there is no moral difference between them. Why should I be moral? Because it makes you feel better than being immoral. It's abortion, euthanasia, suicide, paying taxes, foraging aid, or anything else you don't like, forbidden, permissible, or sometimes obligatory, says anything goes. And I think this, what he's saying here, anything goes, this is the big problem here with atheism. He mentions abortion, suicide, paying taxes, and so on, he said, or anything else. He does not mention violence here. I think he himself and many other atheists living today in the Western world, they, they are against violence against innocent people and so on. But other atheists will not agree, as history has shown us. So it goes back to different moral philosophies and secular uh, political ideologies. And it comes back to that the moral standard, standards will be relative and up to each and every one of the human beings and their different groups and so on to choose their own way when it comes to uh, moral standards, when to conduct war, how to conduct war, and there are no objective standards of morality when it comes to atheism. So I was going to ask you what the foundations for violence in the name of secular ideologies are, but you're saying there are no metaphysical foundations, there's no transcendent norms by which we must guide, that there is a fitra which kind of comes out in uh, a lot of atheist dislike of unjust behavior, you know, towards the innocent. But there's no um, moral foundation for uh, that. It's simply how they feel. It's an emotion, what makes how they feel comfortable. But there's no standard by which they judge things because the standards don't exist, I, I would assume. Yeah, and like you say, uh, some atheists will feel that, and some atheists, no. And mm. I think there's a big problem here because human beings have an inclination of seeking power, seeking wealth, even on the cost of, of others. I don't know if you read the book, uh, The 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. No. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting book, but it's... Uh, it's a very Machiavellian book, uh, how to reach power. Oh, I've, 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 read, I've read Machiavellian's book, The Prince, if that's what you mean. I've, I've read that just a year ago again. That, that's very interesting. Uh, this is a... Uh, this is a Machiavelli on steroids. So it's, uh, it's <laughs> Machiavelli it's was pretty much on steroids as it is. Uh, he, he, you know, um, whatever works is okay for, for the state. You know, that's, uh, the that's the thing. And uh, he came with many, many uh, like uh, uh, examples from human history how human beings are using every single trick to to reach power. So there's something inside of human beings that they want to reach power, they want to reach wealth, they used to, they want to influence others with their ideologies and so on. And if you don't have any moral standards, and if you don't believe that there's an omniscient God that knows everything you do, even if there is no law in the country, or you are above the law in the country, you are the leader, you are, standing, mm-hmm. you are uh, coming with the laws to the country and so on, and you don't think that you're going to be responsible for your actions in the, in the hereafter, I think this is one of the reasons why we, can, we saw all of these disasters uh, uh, in the name of secular ideologies. And I think the other thing that's really important too is Darwinism. Ah. Because even though Darwinism is scientific, or the theory of evolution is a scientific theory in natural scientists, uh, sciences, 
it has a huge impact on how human beings see themselves and how they see others. Mm. Because uh, religions or, or the theist religions, they see human beings as the, crea- the specific creation of, of God, that you're created in the, in the image of God or that you are a specific creation of God. And that will influence how you look at yourself and how you look at others. Mm. But if you see yourself as an animal, and you see others as an animal, I think this would have an effect because we can see that violence in the animal kingdom uh, that the strong enforces power on the weak is something natural. And uh, it can be, uh, even can, be uh, it can even be a good course of, uh, of evolution. It can be good for evolution that the strong eats the, the weaker or the, the survival of the fittest or the stronger and so on. And we can't really speak about morality when it comes to animals. So if, an, uh, li- if a lion eats a gazelle, we don't say it's immoral for it to eat. It's just doing what is natural for it. So if you try to apply these, uh, this thinking on human beings and you see that I'm an animal and others are animals and you start to divide human beings in different races like the first uh, evolutionists used to do, and you say that there are stronger races and there are weaker races and the stronger races have the right to, to eliminate or uh, to attack the weaker races and so on. I think this is one of the reasons that we saw many of the disasters in, in the name of secular uh, ideologies. In, in Charles Darwin, I, I've got one of his books here, Descent of Man, uh, actually says that, exactly what you just said about the stronger races uh, colonizing or exterminating the... Uh, other races. He, he's quite explicit about that and doesn't seem to express that with any particular regret either. He sees that as a natural process. Yeah, he says in the, in the page uh, 178, uh, at some future period, not very distant at me- as measured in, by centuries, the civilized races of man will almost certainly exterminate and replace yeah. the savage races throughout the world. Yeah. And he wrote a letter to William Graham in 1881, and he said, I could show fight or natural selection having done and doing more of, for the progress of civilization than you seem inclined to admit. Remember what risk the nations of Europe, uh, Europe ran not so many centuries ago of being overwhelmed by the Turks, and how ridiculous such an idea now is. The more civilized so-called Caucasian races have beaten the Turkish hollow in the struggle for existence. Looking to the world at not very distant date, what an endless number of lower races will be have been eliminated by the higher civilized races throughout the world. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The Darwin has has yet to... Uh, perhaps it's impossible in the West for him to be deplatformed and dethroned and demonized in the way that others have, because, you know, he, he is, you know, the, the figure of modernity. And if you were to, what you say is, is shocking. It could have been, in, uh, you know, if, if you didn't say where that, those words were from, they could have been in Mein Kampf, for example. I mean, it's the sort of thing that Adolf Hitler would have said, because maybe it was much more common uh, at that time to have those views. Um, uh, yeah, but... The- the the evolution theory had a lot of impact on social sciences too. You had social Darwinism 
And one of the those who really propagated for, for the social Darwinism was Francis Galton. He was a half-cousin of, of, of Charles Darwin himself. And this was, uh, it had a great effect on uh, how they look at uh, uh, people that they colonized, even uh, Nazism, uh, like uh, the, the, the thoughts of, uh, of Hitler, was really based on social Darwinism. He was a social Darwinist. Yeah, yeah. Came back. He divided human beings and different races and saw that different races are, are, uh, are better than other races and so on. And even Karl Marx was very affected of Charles Darwin. He, had, uh, he re- even wrote letters to, uh, to Charles Darwin, had contact with him. And one of his friends mentioned that after he read the book of Darwin, uh, he could not stop speaking about him for months. So he was very affected on, uh, on Darwinism. Well, so I, and, and I know that Karl Marx wants to uh, contact, wrote to Darwin saying, can I dedicate my magnum opus, yeah. the Das Kapital, mm-hmm. on capital, yeah. uh, to, to mm-hmm. you? And I think uh, Darwin uh, declines, and so the book is not dedicated to Charles Darwin, but he, Karl Marx wanted it to be dedicated to Charles Darwin. He saw it as a basis for, for, for the struggle of classes. Uh, so, so he saw it as a basis for the historical materialism that he was propagating for. So mm-hmm. it was very, very important for his theory. And also when it comes to radical forms of capitalism uh, in, the, in the 19th century and also yeah. in the 20th century, how they look at poor people, yeah. they are weaker people, and it's, it's the right of the richer people to to abuse them or, or yeah. to take their wealth. It's a terrible uh, example I have to Ireland uh, because of English uh, economic fanaticism, um, free market fanaticism, and it led to the potato famine in, um, in Ireland, uh, the deaths of millions of people, completely avoidable mm-hmm. deaths. And actually the way the Ottomans uh, came in, the Muslims, to offer support and aid uh, to uh, the white Irish, and this is something that's forgotten about, well, not almost completely forgotten, um, is that the Muslims came to, uh, to, to assist and help uh, the Irish because of British uh, genocidal economics in the 19th century. Yeah. Um, so-, yeah so I think that this is the, these are from the, the most important foundations of, uh, when it comes to violence in the name of secular ideologies. Uh, that you don't have any moral standard, objective moral standards, and also what Darwinism uh, did when it comes to different ideologies. Most of the ideologies were really effective when it comes to, to the ideas of reducing human beings to, to animals, and also, uh, yeah, uh, when it comes to the struggle of the fittest and so on. Gosh. So, when did violence start in the name of secularism, do you think? Um, I think the, the, the first time when uh, when seculars uh, came to power uh, was with the French Revolution, oh. uh, and the French Revolution was very anti-clerical. Uh, there's a British professor uh, called Michael uh, Berlig, and he wrote a book called Earthly Powers, Religion and Politics in Europe from the French Revolution to the Great War. Yeah. And he says in the page 97 uh, about the revolution, he mentioned there was a quarter of a million people that died uh, during the revolution, after the revolution. He said that this was the first occasion in history when an anti-clerical and self-styled non-religious state embarked on a program of mass murder 
that anticipated many 20th century horrors. The secular state was just as capable, unimaginable barbarity as any inspired by religion. So, because there are still uh, in France today, I, I, I've seen it, uh, prominent historians and French intellectuals in France today that still defend that. Uh, when, when this is brought up, they say, yes, it was terrible. The reign of terror, as it was called, was terrible, but it was necessary. Yeah. It was necessary. Yeah. You needed it to protect the revolution. Um, and, and they can do it. They have the public space in secular France to say this, and they're allowed to say it. Remarkable. Yeah, and I think I will come to that uh, in the end of, of the talk. Uh, I think this is a big problem in the Western world that many of the atrocities and many uh, the killings and uh, things that happened during uh, colonization and so on, do you still have people uh, propagating for it and defending it openly? Oh, so yeah. I, I think, yeah. And, uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's controversial. I, I don't. Want to, uh, sorry, I don't want to get the impression that France loves it and it supports it. There, there is a, a, a big argument about it in France. Don't get me wrong, but nevertheless, people mm. do defend it uh, publicly. Mm. Prominent people. And we, we saw, like you said, in the region of terror, uh, it was highly anti-religious, and they even okay. transformed churches. Even Notre Dame, they transformed it to uh, what they call temples of reason, mm -hmm. and they had a festival of reasons and so on. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think this was the first time where uh, violence was perpetrated in the name of secular ideologies. Or And it's pretty interesting because it was the first time they reached power and straight away they started to use terror. Mm -hmm. So it was not like something that evolved during centuries and so on that we can see maybe in other religions and so on. It was like the first time they came to power, they started to use terror and violence straight away. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so which are the most violent secular ideologies, if you can rank them like that? Which are the most violent yeah. ones? Uh, of course, there, there, there are many different uh, secular ideologies. Uh, some of them are violent and others are not, and some of them are more violent than others. Uh, these uh, secular ideologies have uh, a lot of hatred between one another. You have like capitalists against uh, uh, communists and so on. And I think it's a pretty remarkable quote that I found from the atheist professor, Jewel Harari. Uh, he wrote a very famous book called Sapiens, uh, Brief History of Mankind. Uh, it was translated to about 40 languages and so on. But he wrote another book called Homo, uh, Homo Deus, A Brief History of Tomorrow or something. Mm. Uh, he wrote in the book, he, he actually calls secular ideologies for the religion of humanism. And he's an atheist and he's a Darwinist and so on. But he calls it the religion of humanism and calls the different secular ideologies for uh, religious sects. So he says, initially, the difference between liberal humanism, socialist, socialist humanism, and evolutionary humanism and evolutionary humanism is like more of, uh, social Darwinism and so on, seemed rather privileged. Set against the enormous gap separating all humanist sects from Christianity, Islam, or Hinduism, the arguments between different versions of humanism were trifling. As long as we all agree that God is dead and, the only, and that only the human experience gives meaning to the universe, does it really matter whatever you think that all human experiences are equal or that some are superior to others? Yet, as humanism conquered the world, these internal uh, schisms widened 
and eventually flared up until the deadliest war of religion in history. And like I said, this is an atheist saying this. And then he said after that, from 1914 to 1989, a murderous war of religion raged between the three humanist sects and liberalism at first sustained one defeat after the other. Not only did communist and fascist regimes take over numerous countries, but the core liberal ideas were exposed as naive at best, if not downright dangerous. Just give freedom to individuals and the world will enjoy peace and prosperity. Yeah, right. So he, when he's speaking about secular ideologies, he's speaking uh, about them as religious sects because people are defending them as people of, uh, and they're fighting for them and they are ready to die for them and they believe in them and so on just as people uh, belonging to different religious sects believe in their uh, religious sects. So I think that the most violent of these sects uh, was probably communism. According to the book, the Black Book of Communism, uh, many authors uh, wrote that book. They mentioned that over 90 million people were perished because of the violence uh, and the politics uh, of the communists. Lenin, Stalin, Mao, Pol Pot, successive leaders of North Korea, Mengistu in Ethiopia, and so on. And the strange thing when it comes to communism, that most of the killings occurred only about in, in 50 years, from 1920 to 1970 or something. Interesting. And it's tens of millions of people that perished during 50 years of time. So, yeah, it's, it's incredible. And the second ideology was uh, Nazism. Uh, and also other form of nationalistic fascisms. Uh, the Nazis only ruled for 12 years. And it was especially during six years that they did most of the killings. From 1933 to 1938, it was not so much killing. It was between 1939 to 1945. And they killed tens of millions of people because of their ideology, because of their social Darwinistic ideology that they were dividing people in different races and even like, like when they occupied poland they saw poles as some form of subhumans so they did not allow them to to go to universities because they were low, uh, ro lower race than the the aryans and so on and jews they, they exterminated them and the, the gypsies they had like yeah so this is uh, this is social Darwinism at its core, really, when it comes to to to. to There's generation. another example uh, of of liberal uh, genocide. It's not often mentioned. It's never mentioned, I should say, in mainstream media. But I believe it is a, a very real and ongoing example of liberal uh, ideological inspired genocide uh, in the West, particularly, and that is the systematic killing of unborn children through abortion. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, uh, someone who's pregnant just after a couple of days. I'm talking about even up to birth in what's called partial birth abortion in the United States, which is legal, where you can uh, literally uh, birth babies come almost to full term or has come to full term and can be dismembered. And um, it, it, it's I'm lost for words. It is obviously evil and it's murder is Islamically and all decent people will see this as murder. But it is um, 
legal and it happens on a massive scale and it's defended tooth and nail by the Democrat Party of the United States, which is headed by John Barton, who's the president of the United States during the campaign. He is uh, a Roman Catholic, of course, uh, good terms with Pope Francis. And uh, during the election campaign, he was vociferous in defending a woman's right to kill her child uh, in virtually all circumstances. Uh, you know, he saw this as a virtuous act. So um, I mention this because, well, he's the president and it's the world superpower. And but it's actually you find it in Britain and you find it in France and everywhere in the West where killing your unborn child is acceptable. It's seen as a right um, and literally millions of unborn babies have been killed in the West in the name of freedom, feminism, freedom to choose. This is a kind of a Holocaust. The word's been used. I know it's associated with other things, but I think one can use it here because it's the systematic killing of innocent human life um, on an industrial scale. And it's ongoing. Um, and of course, it's completely it's seen as murder in Islam, except at the very earliest stages. But um, uh, it, it's, it's seen as this uh, murder, as it is in Catholicism and so on. But it's it's uh, I would say this is a secular ideology that is uh, uh, promoting and justifying and uh, um, this kind of killing on a mass scale. So this is ongoing. It's happening. Yeah. Big. yeah and that, that's for in, uh, like uh, unborn babies. But even yeah. when it comes to. Uh, to grow, <laughs> grown people, uh, Western states uh, during uh, age of colonization and uh, to now have been responsible for millions of people that died. Mm. Uh, we, you have the former minister of foreign affairs in India, Chachi Taror. Uh, he wrote a book and he is a, is a uh, public and uh, intellectual and writing books and, and so on. He mentioned that the number of uh, that great, great Britain was responsible for the death of 35 million Indians during British rules, 35 million. That was due uh, because of starvation, uh, starvation, like you mentioned in uh, Ireland and so on, uh, and also through through killings and so on. And millions of Algerians were killed during the rule of France. Uh, I was going to mention Algeria. Yeah. It was horrific. Uh, yeah. And that was after World War II. Like you, it, oh, yeah. it began in the, in the 19th century, but it continued to after World War II with uh, over one million uh, Algerians being slaughtered and killed in ways uh, similar to, to the ways of the Nazis. But we, we and this, the, the, this, the French Republic uh, at that time was explicitly... Uh, secular, uh, that was laicite, mm. this is the word they used. Um, and the French Republic has never formally apologized for this uh, act of um, genocide committed in the name of secularism. It never admitted guilt, which is interesting. You can it? even see now in the presidential elections now between the different, you have some of the candidates actually defending the colonial area over there in... Uh, Emile, Emile Zemmour, famously, of course, notoriously, uh, who's one of the candidates, uh, ha has expressed his, you know, pride and so on for that period in history. And the father of the other candidate, uh, Le Pen, was actually, like, participating yeah. in the war over there, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, Jean, yeah, the Le Pen he, senior was, yeah, very much involved in that, yeah. And during World War Two, it's usually, yeah, and he, associated with the atrocities of Nazis and communists and so on. But even Western powers during World War II 
committed uh, a lot of mass killings. Uh, you can see that the, the bombing of Tokyo, uh, during one day, they killed between 100 and 200,000 people, and most of them were civilians. And Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And uh, this was like real mass killings of civilian people living. It was, mm. it was state terrorism when it comes to killing people. Mm. Uh, and during the Cold War, also uh, war in Korea, uh, Korea and uh, Vietnam and Cambodia. And millions of people died during those wars and so on. And even in our age, there's an institute called Watson Institute in Brown University has a page called Costs of War, about the war on terror. And they mentioned that 929,000 people died because of uh, the war on uh, terror, and 38 million people were displaced. So mm -hmm. I think when it comes to Western powers, uh, I think that our... Uh, treating their own citizen much, much better than Nazis and communists. But the difference is how you treat the others, how you treat people in other countries, and how you treat people that are not white Westerners uh, during the age of colonialism and so on. And I think another difference is that uh, you don't really find that they admit of the crimes that they did in the same way that you can find with Germans admitting uh, the atrocities of uh, Nazism, and uh, even even Soviet after Stalin, you see, you see the uh, Khrushchev, he admitted uh, many of the atrocities that Stalin made, and you can see until today in Belgium. If you go to Belgium, you can find an yeah. avenue in the name of Leopold II. You can find a statue of him. You can parks and so on. In the name of a person that was responsible for the killing of about 10 million people in, in Congo. And he's still kind of a hero in the country. This is an interesting example because people often, uh, it's not normally known in the West. I don't know how well known in Belgium it is, but their great king was responsible. And this is not um, a polemical point. This is not a, a bit of marginal uh, conspiracy theory. He was, it's not, a directly responsible for the deaths of tens of millions of people in Africa as a part of Belgium's colonial um, you know, enterprise there. So th this is a matter of its historical... Uh, I'm, I'm also a member of Julia Assange. I don't necessarily agree with everything he does. The Australian Wikile Wikipedia... Uh, Wik Wik not Wikipedia. Um, Wikileaks. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Wikileaks. Um, but one of his great crimes, of course, which is why America is so keen to keep him in prison, uh, is because he exposed American war crimes in Iraq, um, yeah. He actually uh, put them in the public domain. There's footage of American military slaughtering innocent Iraqi civilians in clearly a war crime. And um, I assume Assange wanted to bring this to public attention in much the way that we rightly expose Putin's uh, crimes in Ukraine and so on. And we want to hold him to account and bring him to justice and the International Criminal Tribunal. Fine. But can we do it when we do crimes as well, please? Or is it just the enemy that must be held to account and we get off scot-free and we can do what we want because it's us and we're, yeah. we're above, we're above justice. We create what justice means. Justice is the enemy gets punished when it does wrong, but we get off scot-free. I mean, that sounds really cynical, but I'm, I actually think we're forced to that conclusion. I, 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 I can't think of any other conclusion. If Julia Assange, is in part being incarcerated because of exposure of American war crimes, which are on public record. If you dig around, you can find what they are. 
you know, how can we morally criticize Putin and wish to hold him to account for his actions, alleged actions or real actions in Ukraine? I just don't get it. I don't get where our our moral consistency, our moral framework is. I just it's actually quite demoralizing when you try and have confidence in justice when this inconsistency is so blatant, I would think. Because you don't have any objective moral standards. It's just going to be uh, the stronger, the stronger impose its own moral standards on others. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I think th- this is something that is important too. I started to speak in the beginning of the talk about the four horsemen uh, of new atheism. And you can see that some of them were vocally uh, supporters of the war in Afghanistan and the war of Iraq, and uh, like Christopher Hitchens, yeah, he I, said there's something good. There. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you can see someone like Sam Harris, who was the first one that wrote a book in the uh, in the New Atheist Movement. He mentioned in the in the book uh, the End of Faith that some propositions are so dangerous that it might be even ethical to kill people for believing in them. And he also said. In such, uh, when he speaks about an Islamist uh, regime uh, handholding, uh, uh, having uh, nuclear weapons, he said, in such a situation, the only thing likely to ensure our survival may be a nuclear first strike, not that they strike first, a first strike from them, of our own. Needless to say, this would be an, an unthinkable crime, as it would kill tens of millions of innocent civilians in a single day, but it may be the only course of action available to us, given what Islamists believe. So I don't really think that they are against violence. They're against yeah. some, yeah, well, well, some this, kind this of is, violence. Exactly. Yeah. This is the thing. Madeleine Albright, the Secretary of State in, under Clinton's administration mm-hmm. in the United States, who died literally a week ago, I, I think, um, much praised for her statesmanlike uh, character and her matter of principle, standing up for freedom in the world. But she's on record, and you can watch this on, on YouTube, um, because uh, at, at a time in the 1980s, 1990s, I forget exactly when, there were American-imposed sanctions on Iraq, mm-hmm. and tens of thousands of Iraqi children died of starvation directly because of American sanctions. And she was asked about this. And she says, uh, I can forget the exact words, maybe you can remember, it was a price worth paying. Um, and, and you can imagine, you know, if that had been said of Americans, you know, uh, uh, if she had said that to Americans about American babies, it, you know, she would have been <laughs> kicked out of office immediately. But because it's Iraqi babies, presumably Muslims, perhaps not white either, I don't know, they, they were, it, it was a price worth, and she actually said that, or was that effect. Um, and this is the American Secretary of State. So the deaths of vast numbers of innocent babies in another country, hopefully if it's an Arab country or Muslim country, a non-white, it is seen as acceptable uh, by this great woman who was valorized and praised recently in obituaries all over the media for being a great woman uh, and defender of freedom, etc. And she's a Democrat under Clinton. She wasn't a extreme right-wing person. She was a, uh, in the Democratic administration of Clinton. Uh, I mean, this is, uh, I mention this not because it's somehow exceptional, but because I think it's actually normal. You, you, you know, uh, um, it's when the first black secretary of state, um, I forget his name now, died just a few months ago, who, who was uh, 
played a key role in the lies that led to the attack on Iraq. Uh, he was valorized and praised. Um, I forget his name now. Uh, in very similar, sorry, Colin Powell. Colin Powell, thank you. Colin Powell was praised to the. I actually remember reading the obituaries and the Times and the BBC. Not a whiff of criticism, even though his lies uh, led directly to the killing of perhaps millions of innocent people in the same country, Iraq. Um, so this kind of is normal, I think. Uh, and yet we we think of ourselves as loving freedom, unlike these foreigners. We believe in the rule of law. We believe in justice, fair play, respecting the rights of people. Well, maybe we do, actually. If you're a citizen in New York, Boston, Massachusetts, ideally, you know, places like that. But not if you're in other places, particularly abroad, especially abroad. It's the definition of who is a human. It's a definition. Who is a human? Are you speaking about human rights? Are you speaking about all human beings or are you speaking of specific human beings? Do everyone have human rights or not? So I think that also goes back to the whole thing of moral standards and that it, everything becomes relative and the strong would impose his moral standards on others. Yeah, I, that, I think it concludes what we have been speaking about today. The whole thing, the whole argument that they're using that, oh, there have been violence in the name of Islam, there have been violence in the name of religions. Yeah, but look at yourself, look at, uh, look at your history, look at what happened and so on. And I think that really concludes uh, everything. Yeah. Mm. Well, I feel thoroughly depressed now. <laughs> um, maybe I should have said what I said. I just thought it was obvious, you know, anyway, but... Uh, Thank you very much, Dr. Abdullah Swedi, uh, for your time, your expertise uh, on this. And it's a wake-up call, I think, to us that um, uh, secular ideologies can be lethal, uh, whether it be in the encouraging endorsement of mass abortion on demand, which is, I say, an ongoing genocide as we speak, or in justifying, uh, um, because there's no metaphysical foundation to atheist worldviews that we're not held accountable at the end of the day we can do what we want and power and might is right whereas in traditional religion of course uh, in islam there's a wonderful word in arabic taqwa this idea of god consciousness or fear of god depending how you translate it which is kind of you know for, for a committed muslim this really is uh, you, you know you're not just acting out your whims and desires uh, you know, you, you are following God's commandments and God says very clearly, uh, do not kill innocent people, women, children, babies, monks, priests, whatever. Don't even cut down trees unnecessarily. So if you have taqwa, if you have fear of God or God consciousness, you're not going to do these things. But you don't have yeah. that constraint or, or, or that moral framework, that moral universe. If you're a secularist, you simply don't have it. it, it it's not there. Um which is awful. <laughs> anyway, um, I guess that's Thank it. Thank you very much. It was very nice to speak to you, even though the, the topic is a bit depressing, but it's a yeah. very important subject. And I think that it's something that has to be tackled and to, uh, that you can read about it more and so on. And I think that it's, uh, yeah, it's a very, very important and interesting topic. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And uh, if you want to say, look at that uh, survey that was uh, mentioned uh, about genocide and deaths by religion, by ideology, uh, you can get this on PDF online for free. War and Peace and Islam, Uses and Abuses of Jihad. But it does talk about other religions as well. 
um very extensive research there so i do recommend that as well so i guess that's it for today thank you so much again abdullah thank you, uh, it was a pleasure thank to talk you. to you um and uh, you. continue your good work in, in uh, a university and doing dawa in sweden as well so thank you very much until next time thank you very much take care bye bye